turn with me to Second Timothy chapter 2, if you would, to a passage that the Lord brought home to me in a very powerful way at some point early on in my ministry, verses 23 to 25. The passage that I begin with when I think about this subject and the words that came to me from the translation I had at that point was, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. What are the characteristics of a godly person? What are the characteristics of a godly leader? One characteristic is he or she does not quarrel. Second Timothy 2 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. So, when we come to the subject of apostolic ministry, there are differences of opinion in the body of Christ generally. There are differences of opinion, no doubt, even in this group. How do we deal with these differences of opinion? We respect one another. So, my desire in what I'm going to say is not to present what I think in some kind of dogmatic way to try to get you to believe what I believe. I don't want to do that. What I want to do is share with sensitivity and respect the understandings that I have come to. Realizing that you may have different understandings and desiring that we might learn from one another. And that extends to the different traditions from which we come. We come from different church traditions that have different understandings about it. And God's servant learns to function in those different streams, in those different traditions, without catalyzing quarrels, but with expressing respect and an openness to learn from one another. Let me just give you really quickly something of the background that brought me to this. I think that will help you to know the context. I shared a little bit last night about Antioch Network's journey with this. As we uh, found ourselves serving churches, particularly churches that had a vision to initiate among these people groups, we found that some churches were really able to do this, but others not. And we found ourselves grappling, what is the key here? Why is one church seemingly more able to do this in an effective way than others? And the more we sought the Lord on that, the more we found ourselves realizing it boils down to the kind of leadership. What God is calling us to do, he gives us to do. The gifting reflects the calling. And when the gifting is not there, it is vain to teach that somebody should do something when the gifting is not there. When God is calling us to do something, there will be the corresponding gifting 
that will facilitate what God is calling you to do. And so we thought, you know, whatever that gifting is that is needed to do this has got to be in the New Testament. And as we, again, explore that deeper, of course, we were led very quickly to the word apostle and the ministry of an apostle. Now, the more I found myself getting into this, the more I realized that I had been walking in this since my mid-twenties. My experience, my background is that when I was 25 years old, I was in India. And I was part of the initial birthing of OM's work in India, and we found ourselves very quickly with 20 different teams in different parts of India, more and more Indians joining the teams. That meant developing Indian leadership for the teams. I would travel around one week of this team, one week of that team, one week of the other team, mornings in evangelism, afternoons in teaching, working with the leaders. And so we were developing leadership. And out of that, a work grew that today, I don't know, I'm sure, in the thousands of workers that are involved in that work. Then after five years in India, I found myself giving leadership to the OM-ship Logos. That wasn't my plan. I didn't want to do this. I just fought against it. But here we had a ship, and we had not only the professional crew, but we also had OMers and people from all kinds of different backgrounds. And we had all kinds of leadership positions that we needed. We had the book exhibition leadership, the program leadership, the lineup leadership the training leadership, and we had to take people and put them into these positions of leadership and then work with them as they developed in their leadership. Pretty soon we had more leaders than we needed for one ship, and so uh, prayer began for a second ship. God gave us a second ship. Leadership continued to be produced. We started an international ship headquarters in Germany that's still going today. And the ship ministry within OM got to be one-third of the whole mission. I mean, at that point, we were 1,500 missionaries, and only 500 of those missionaries were the ship. The whole mission had to ask us in the ship ministry to go into uh, maintenance mode because they didn't want the whole of OM to be known as ships. So all of that, not all of those leaders were apostolic leaders, but all of that context was a context of leadership development. So it's from that background that I'm speaking to you. Dan and I were married by Buck Singh in India. Buck Singh is a convert from Sikhism. And when we met him, he and his ministry had planted 200 living assemblies throughout India with many Muslim and uh, Hindu converts. And if there ever was an apostolic leader, Buck Singh was an apostolic leader. He married us. He was my original mentor in the life of the local church. So all of there's the background from which I'm speaking. Now that brings us to the issue of terminology. We need terminology to release the truth that God wants to release. And the word apostle can trigger ambivalence. That's one word we can use. What kind of terminology is going to free us here rather than than limit us? So we can use the word apostle. He is an apostle. She is an apostle. Another word that we can use is an apostolic leader. We can go to the adjective. He is an apostolic leader. 
We can go further in that and use apostolically gifted. He is an apostolically gifted leader. Or we can say he is an apostolic type leader. If we use apostolically gifted or apostolic type, you can translate that into your own theology. If you believe that there are apostles today, you can be comfortable with that. If you don't believe that there are apostles today, you can more easily, I think, believe that there are leaders today who re- are, resemble the ministry of the apostles or have a similar kind of ministry to the ministry of the apostles. So again, we're looking for terminology that frees us and that doesn't trigger quarrels. And the terminology that I love to use is apostolic leader or apostolic and gifted leader. Now, the minute we use that word apostolically gifted leader, that introduces us to a concept that we're going to talk about later, and that is the mature expression of this ministry. So there's a difference between the initial gift and the mature expression. So that helps us to answer the question, are there apostles or were the original twelve apostles the only apostles, and after them, and the New Testament era, there are no more apostles? Certainly the twelve that Jesus personally trained are unique. They play a unique role, certainly. The next thing to say is that the New Testament does actually identify other people as apostles. Obviously, Paul is identified by the New Testament as an apostle. Barnabas is identified as an apostle. James, the brother of the Lord, is identified as an apostle. Possibly, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, Sylvanus and Timothy are apostles. Possibly, in Romans 16, Andronicus and Union are apostles, and Eunius is uh, a feminine name, which introduces a question that we'll deal with later on about, what about women? What about women? And so, we can say that the New Testament itself identifies other people as apostles. There are many in the body of Christ that will go that far that they will say, no, you know, by the time that the New Testament was finished, There were no more apostles because we had the New Testament. That brings us to this question. What is the defining characteristic of an apostle? What are the defining characteristics? Is one of the defining characteristics of an apostle someone who has written scripture? Now, as we look at the canon of the New Testament, we find that there are five cases of apostles writing scripture that we are sure about. Matthew wrote scripture. Peter wrote scripture. John wrote scripture. Paul wrote scripture. James wrote scripture. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. We don't know for sure who wrote the book of Jude. But scholars generally agree that it was not the apostle. And so The most we can say is we know for sure that five apostles wrote scripture. On the other hand, Luke, who wasn't an apostle, wrote more scripture than anybody other than Paul. Luke wrote a lot of scripture. I think Paul wrote more. Luke wasn't an apostle. So my own 
sense of that would be that this is not an essentially defining characteristic of an apostle as to having written scripture. Now, another thing that is often felt about apostles is that a characteristic of an apostle is someone who planted churches. Certainly, one of the key characteristics of the call of an apostle is to initiate. And certainly, if we are initiating, there's going to be the planning of churches. To say that it is only churches that apostles start, my own sense of that is it would be good for us to reflect on that for a minute. Many of us are formed by a free church ecclesiology. What does that mean? It means that we can relate to the local expression of the church. And we can also relate to the universal expression of the church. But there is not in our understanding of the church what I would call in this context a translocal expression of the church. My suggestion to you for your consideration as you consider this is that the apostolic calling is a translocal calling. And so if you don't have a symbol in your mind of the translocal compartment of the church, you're going to have a hard time ultimately fitting in an apostolic ministry because if all you have is the local congregation and the universal church, it's going to be hard to fit that in. That is the root of the conflict that has been part of some of our experience between the local church and the mission agency. If we could come to a place of comfort with the fact that both are equally part of the church. Bill Bright, was he an apostolic leader? Did he plant local churches? Well, I know he may have. I, I don't know the answer. But obviously his major ministry expression was birthing Campus Crusade for Christ. Lauren Cunningham, is he an apostolic leader? Yes. Is he known, is his major area of ministry planning over churches? So my suggestion to us, my own understanding, is that apostolic leaders initiate works of God. Local churches are certainly involved, but there are other things that are also involved. In fact, I think it is a key calling of apostolic leaders to initiate reconciliation among the church. So think about that. I'm not trying to change any conviction you might have, but we need an understanding is that the only thing that apostle can do is plant local churches. Having said all of that, kind of trying to clear the way a little bit for our understanding. What are the New Testament characteristics of apostles or apostolic leaders? So I've got 14. There's a longer list in Loving the Church, Blessing the Nation. And we're not going to get to all of these 14 today. The first one is 
Galatians 1.1, apostolic leaders are called by God. This isn't something that someone decides, oh gee, it would be nice to be that. And I'm going to say this later, but you don't want to choose this out of your own free will. This isn't a fun thing. If you are given vision by God, it will cost you everything. And there are times when you will cry out, oh God, take this from us. Apostolic leaders are called by God in a way that is inescapable. Galatians 1.1 Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I mean, can you feel the authority in those words? Paul knew that he had been called to be an apostle. Apostles are people who are called by God. Secondly, apostolic leaders carry vision given to them by God. Apostolic leaders carry vision given to them by God. Acts 20, verse 22. You know, this passage in Acts 20, that, that there's so many passages in the New Testament that to me are just so incredibly rich when it comes to the subject of apostolic ministry. This Acts chapter 20 is one of them. Beginning at verse 17, Paul meeting with the Elders of the Church of Ephesus for the last time. And as an apostle, as a spiritual father, he is speaking to these elders from his heart. Acts 20, verse 22. And behold, now I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. Constrained by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the only thing the Spirit is telling me is that afflictions and imprisonment await me. I believe one of the roles of apostolic leaders is to minister to the prophets. There is a precious relationship between apostolic leaders and prophetically gifted and ministering people. One of the roles that apostles have when it comes to prophets is to listen to them. <laughs> Another role that apostolic leaders have, not only to prophets but to everybody, is to call us to maturity. We live in a day of great superficiality. The superficiality is so broad and so common that it feels normal. And so people who are called by God and gifted by God step right into that superficiality and function within that superficiality and everybody else they know is functioning with that superficiality, and suddenly the understanding 
in the whole group is just understood to be normal, but it's nobody realizes that superficial it is. And I feel within my spirit this call to the prophets. God is speaking. And he is not only speaking in triumphal ways. I got a prophetic word, January the 1st. It sent via Austria. It was triumphal. God, about all the great things God is going to do in 2011. I don't have any doubt that God is going to do great things in 2011, and I'm not saying that where it wasn't fulfilled. There's also going to be a lot of suffering in 2011. This is the word that Paul got here. It wasn't Paul, just go and do it, it's going to be wonderful, you're going to write all these books from prison, it's going to be, you're going to be going from glory to glory, and pretty soon you're going to be in the heavens. It wasn't that, it's, you know, you're going to be in prison, This is part of the prophetic tradition, the calling of God's people, the warning of God's people of suffering to come. And here comes the main message, the holiness of God, the holiness of God. The prophets of Israel spoke of the holiness of God and called the people of God from their superficiality, from their sin. From their idolatry, back to the holiness of God, and warn the people that if we don't go back to the holiness of God, there will be suffering to come. I'm waiting for this kind of prophet, prophetic ministry. If we want to see the gospel of the kingdom proclaimed among all nations, we must hear the prophetic word to return to the holiness of God and the call to suffer. May God raise up apostles that will give that word in humility and gentleness. Apostolic leaders called carry vision to them, given by them by God. Caution. Sometimes when we talk about apostolic ministry, we hear the word entrepreneurial. So that an apostolic leader is really an entrepreneurial leader. I believe that there are some significant similarities. I'm not suggesting that's wrong. But I have a caution for you. Here's my caution. Part of the superficiality of that day is the secularization of the church. We have lost the Judeo-Christian symbolic system. And we have embraced the secular symbols of the business world, brought them right into the church, translated them into the church, and in doing so, we have brought meanings into the church that have been lost. So the word entrepreneurial, or saying that an apostolic leader is an, is an entrepreneurial leader, has the danger 
that we lose important meanings that are only conveyed in the Judeo-Christian symbolic. For example, being called by God. For example, being given vision by God. Vision that comes from God is not the same thing as entrepreneurial vision in the business context. It's not the same. It initiates from God. We must be careful with anything that is soulish. There is that which is soulish that is good, but it's only soulish. And it doesn't carry with it spiritual authority, and it doesn't produce spiritual fruit. Point number three, the third characteristic. Apostolic leaders are gifted by God for the ministry to which he has called them. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. We're talking here, or Paul is talking here, about gifting. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So my understanding is that this is a chapter about spiritual gifts. Now we get down towards the end of the chapter. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles. Now we won't spend time to talk about that, but it's worth meditating in your mind to what degree is our apostles first. First apostles, second prophets, third uh, teachers. Think about that. I understand from this that there is an apostolic gifting. Now let me talk to you for just a minute about the process of ministry development. This is true of apostolic leaders. It's true right across the board in Christian ministry. There is a process of development. And the process of development runs something like this. This is not mathematical. It's human. It's of the spirit. But these stages, I think, are recognizable. The first stage is calling. God calls people. Not just apostolic leaders. God calls people. People hear the voice of God. Are you hearing the voice of God? Some would say, well, I'm not sure. Are you placing yourself in a place where you can listen? Secondly, gifting. God gives gifts for that which he calls us to do. And when we function in our gifting, there's nothing more fulfilling. People will pay you to allow them to function in their gifting. Back to the ships for a minute. You know, if you have a ship, the Duloff had 300 to 350 people, and you get a whole new bunch of new recruits, you know, 100 people, you got them for two years, You've got all these work assignments that you have to fulfill. So, you know, you just start plugging people into work assignments. And if they complain, you just tell them, you know, Jesus suffered for you, you suffered for him. <laughs> then the day comes when you, you, you grow up a little bit. And you realize all these people are gifted. And they're gifted in certain ways. And so the key is not plugging them into the slot that you think they should be plugged into. The key is discerning their gift and then leading them into a place that will enable them to fulfill their gifts. Because the fulfilling of their gifts is the fulfilling of their calling. And when they're walking in that calling and walking in their gifting, they're not 
getting burned out. Thirdly, there is the formation of Christ-like character. Now, the great superficiality that we refer to can very easily miss this. So let me give it to you within apostolic ministry right away. To understand apostolic ministry, you must begin in the gospel. You don't begin in the book of Acts. You don't begin in the epistles. You begin in the gospel. Because Jesus, the master trainer of apostolic leaders, was laying the foundation of apostolic ministry in the gospel. And until we have Christ-like people, we don't have Christian ministry. We don't have New Testament ministry in its full expression. And may God save us from people who understand themselves to be apostles and others understand them to be apostles and then are formed in the likeness of Jesus. May God deliver us from that. This is not New Testament apostleship. Calling, gifting, Formation of Christ-like character, testing, testing, testing. It's not all glamorous. It's not all triumphal. There's testing. There's failure. Testing. Then there is anointing. Anointing is the Holy Spirit upon a person. That's not the same as gifting. There's anointing. And then finally, there's the mature expression of calling. So there is calling, I submit to you, that never reaches its full expression. Because character has not been formed. There is ego. There is selfish ambition. James tells us, Selfish ambition leads to quarrels and chaos. Much of the chaos among God's people has been caused by selfish ambition on the part of the leader. What we want is mature expression. Now, how long does that take? Restore the ancient anointing. Somebody's asking Ryan today, well, you know, how are you doing in that two-year program? Those people ready to go plant churches among hundreds of people yet? How long does it take? How long does it take to make someone who is mature and rooted enough in God to do that? I don't think there's a number, but it's a process and it's deep. Brothers and sisters, God is calling us to go deep. It's God's job to take it broad. It's our job to go deep with God. Do you want, and this is not the place and we're not going to do it, but how would you like a candid, not recorded view of missionary, the history of missions? How would you like a candid, not recorded history of the church in our day, even your tradition and my tradition? How many works have not made it? How many leaders have not made it? Do you know that there is a large percentage, more than we would ever want to know, of Christian leaders who don't make it? That marriage doesn't make it. 
Their character doesn't make it. Their relationship with money doesn't make it. They started well. And when we start targeting unreached peoples, or when we start targeting reconciliation with the church, all hell will break loose. All hell will break loose. The devil is going to target those who are being called to this kind of thing. Well, what can we do about it? Go deep with God. He is our refuge. Go deep with God. And in God's way and in God's time, he will take it broad. I believe we are to give the call within Antioch Network. Go deep with God. Go deep with God. And leave the results to God. What we're really wanting here when it comes to apostolic leaders is the mature expression of that call. The mature expression. Okay, that leads us to this question. Can women be called and gifted by God in ways that result in apostolic ministry? My understanding is that there is no New Testament gifting that is gender specific. I think women can be gifted in the same way that men are gifted, and I don't know any exception to that. Well, if God gifts someone in a certain way, man or woman, and if that person, man or woman, goes deep with God, grows in God's character, that gifting is going to be expressed. And my own understanding, you might not agree with me, but my own understanding is that women can be called and gifted in this way. There is a book that has been written on this subject that I have found really helpful. It's not specifically apostolically gifted women, women in general, but it's by Lauren Cunningham and another brother, I keep forgetting his name, but he's a really gifted teacher. You can tell, you can tell when Lauren is writing and when the teacher is writing, you know, very different styles. But um, the name of the book is Why Not Women? David Hamilton, thank you. Point number four. Characteristics of apostolic leaders. New Testament characteristics of apostolic leaders. Apostolic leaders are maturing toward Christ-likeness. Apostolic leaders are maturing toward Christ-likeness. Philippians 3, we read this this morning. Let's just read it again. Philippians 3, verse 7. These are the words of an apostle. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the world. What is your theology about setting goals? 
But be careful with those. Goals can come from the soul. Goals can come from the ego. Goals can come from triumphalism, romanticism. The New Testament goal is to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his presence. Apostolic leaders are maturing towards Christ-likeness. We've already made the statement that to understand apostolic ministry, we begin in the gospel. Turn with me for a minute to Luke 6. I feel like I just want to talk about Jesus. Just how, how crucial this is. Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. And say, George, what's this got to do with apostolic ministry? I think it has everything to do with apostolic ministry. It's the very core of apostolic ministry. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would be to you, do also to them. You say, well, gee, how is that possible? That's what a lot of people say. That's what a lot of Christians say. That produces even theology. Why? We don't have to live that way. Jesus is so wise and so perceptive and so deep that he begins to give us the answer of how we can live this way. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Now right there is Jesus beginning to give us the answer. If you love those who love you, what does that mean? That's what the sinners do. In other words, the person that the sinners has become produces that activity. You love those who love you. This is about becoming like Jesus. The whole message of the New Testament, the whole, me- the whole message of the gospel of the kingdom is in Christ we can become a different kind of person. It's not about doing this, doing that, gritting your teeth and trying again to love your enemies. You have to become the kind of person who loves your enemies. How do we become that kind of person? Become like Jesus. That was the kind of person he was. This is what we were created for. We read this morning, God created us in his own likeness. I was created in God's likeness. I was created the kind of person to love my enemies. That's what I was created to do. But I went away from my father. I went away from him. Why did I do that? That was the most insane decision I've ever made. I went away from my father. There's no father that could be ever more wonderful than the father I had. He's always available. He's not moody. He never changes. He's wise. He's kind. He's all-powerful. He's gentle. He's rich, and he's also generous. My father. I went away from him. 
I went away from him. Seeking a life that was better than life with him. That's what I did. And when I did that, damage took place in me. And I became the kind of person that hated the world. And my father loved me so much. He made a way for me to come home. And the way is Jesus. And this is what a friendship with Jesus does for me. Becoming the kind of person who loves our enemies. And if we don't know that in our own lives, and can't teach that to others, how can we be apostolic? Or better to put it, let me put it another way, how can we walk in a mature expression of apostolic ministry if we don't know that? Because that's the absolute core of the Christian life. It's not about doing things, it's about becoming a new person. The last thing that we read about God as creator, Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. You know, we were in Poland at the place alongside the river near Kelno. That's where Hannah's parents were kept the last night before they were dead. We were at that mill. And as we were there, I heard Jesus say, I am making all things new. And so Jesus goes on. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Sinners do that. If you lend to those for whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. In other words, this is how God is. And so Jesus goes on to talk about the tree. A good tree brings forth good fruit, a bad tree brings forth bad fruit. Apostolic leaders are maturing toward Christ-likeness. Characteristic number five. Apostolic leaders are sent by God. You know, I think I'm going to not deal with that now because I'm aware of that time and I want to talk a little bit more about that. So we'll pick it up there tomorrow. Thank you for your attention. Bless you. Again, it's such a privilege for me to be able to talk about these sacred things.